and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So, I'm probably going to refer to my notes a lot. I'm just going to do a bit of a disclaimer because... It takes a lot to refine what you want to say on a Sunday, and I really want to get it right. So you just have to forgive me a little bit if I do that. But what I want to ask you is, are you marvelling? Are we marvelling? Really? Are we filled with wonder and astonishment? You know, let's be honest, probably not. <laughs> the majority of us, including myself, are distracted by the busyness of our everyday routines and chores that often don't feel the need to stop and just marvel at the autumn leaves or look at the November blue sky. Yeah, we don't have time for that, do we? I might be able to schedule that in on a Sunday afternoon, but Monday to Friday, nah, <laughs> I'm too in, in that. But it's kind of sad. What changed? Because as babies and toddlers and children, as we know, they're absolutely so intuitive and so curious. Everything is sensory-led with touch and taste. Apparently, as a child, you were either a licker or a toucher. <laughs> Because that's how children explore. They explore through their senses, through how it feels, what it makes them think, their imagination. It's beautiful, really, when you watch it. Uh, even yesterday, I was in the playground with Sophie at uh, the back of, back of the school, and, you know, I was. I had a moment after sort of writing this where it was a beautiful, sunny afternoon, and she was just cycling around the playground and making up her own world and her own stories and her own imagination, and everything was exciting and everything had a tail to it, and it was, it was lovely to watch, and it was a real harsh reminder of how adult we can become and how bobbed down by things we can become. But I get it, because we have to grow up right. We have to live our adult lives. We've got mortgages to pay and bills to pay and children to bring up and all those things and jobs to get to. But how many of us have got to where Elizabeth is in the clip, you know, frustrated by that ordinary, tired of feeling nothing, suppressed, bobbed down, and if we're honest, maybe sometimes a little bit joyless. But, yeah, you know, we probably go out and do things and, and feel like we're trying to get that. But we're trying to create, create moments instead of just having the moments every day, you know, living in it all the time. But I want to suggest to you today a path that maybe has led you to that place. Even if you don't feel like you're in that place, I would still like you to take a chance on what I've got to say this morning and introduce you to. Even the jolliest of us with our easy breezy life, surely it won't hurt from a little bit of self-exploration and a little bit more marvelling. When we grow up, we experience all sorts of stuff along the way, right? We've got our school years, early family years, your first relationship, your first breakup, our best friends, the relationships we form, the family around us. 
But what about our heartaches, the potential unprocessed pain that we have also experienced along the way, either knowingly or unknowingly? Typically, with heartbreak, because some of you would have already switched off by now, because heartbreak, typically, you connect that to a, a, a romantic relationship that's perhaps um, not worked out. Sorry, I've lost my place. Yeah, and so heartbreak, that da it's, it's the heartbreak that damages the marvelling, that first humiliation that we faced. It might have been something like you weren't chosen for a team. You know, that, if that was your first experience of heartache, that's going to hurt just as much as a heartache further down the line where you've lost your love. <sighs> but these things can bruise our hearts or can fracture our hearts, the fractured heart of being bullied or mistreated, then the broken hearts, the broken friendships, a lost job, a crossword, a marriage that is difficult. When our opinion didn't matter, or our voices weren't heard, feeling left out or isolated, not in the in-crowd, spoken down to, made to feel we're not enough. The small T traumas, I would call these, that inevitably all of us face at some point. We've all, I don't care who you are, you would have faced some sort of heartache or bruise or issue in your life. But then there's the bigger stuff as well, which I'm going to call the, the big T traumas. You know, we can't avoid talking about those. The death of a loved one, being severely mistreated or neglected, having to grow up quickly as you had to take responsibility yourself. You might have had to be a caregiver for your parents, maybe. Those children who had learned how to be the good kid. I know there's a few of you in here. You know, not to cause any trouble or stress. You learned to stay silent. You, you learned to not rock the boat. It all matters, all of it, all of it matters, and it's all heartbreak. I believe that we're all born, essentially, with the same need to feel loved and to feel nurtured, to feel heard and to belong. But when that stuff gets damaged, then we're at risk of having unprocessed pain. And the unprocessed pain then creates unhealthy attachments to things, this is where addictive behaviour resides, where we harbour resentments, where we develop our fears of rejection, for example, of not being enough, of feeling controlled, of being controlling. We could be emotionally hungry, create fantasies in our heads of relationships and bonds, or be emotionally unavailable and distant. We tend to like to feel a bit isolated and not connect. Or are you internally conflicted, and you'd like to be a bit dramatic and ambivalent. So as a result, we construct our own self-image, how we want to be seen as adults. We create masks that we wear, and we live a seemingly stable life. But underneath the surface, our inner child still hurts, and those moments of the past of unprocessed pain become our emotional triggers. We can develop attachments to those pains that feed into our dialect, our thoughts, and our actions, it doesn't have to be a childhood trauma, for, you know. It could have been happened, something that happened to an adult or as a young teen. <clears throat> Some of you have faced hardships that have been created in your marriage. Becoming a parent, losing your spouse in your later years. Whatever stage, negative energy left undealt with can fester and cause us internal damage. We question and try to deal with this stuff, but often we only ever deal with this stuff from the neck up. But what about everything else? You know the feeling when your heart actually hurts. It hurts, your insides feel all chewed up. You know, when you feel all churned up and stressed and anxious. 
That's a physical manifestation of what you're going through. It's that negative stress impacting your body. You physically release chemical hormones from stress, which feed into your body. And I didn't realize this until recently, but I didn't know that your gut and your heart have their own nervous system and their own brain, essentially. And so when you feel that stuff in your stomach, that's actually it feeling your pain. You feel your pain. Oh, it's just, it's really sad. So we filter our feelings and the chemicals released from that negative stress hormones which churn up our stomach. You physically feel that anxiety and the oppression of that tension. It needs releasing like a pressure cooker. It's like, oh. Our body experiences our heartaches. So it's not just about the mind. It's a whole body experience. But Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What did he mean by that? What does that mean to take up our cross daily as well and follow him? But I'm going to explore all this with you this morning, and I'd like to begin to consider how we might walk through a process of grief. I want to help encourage you to face your pains and learn to physically and mentally pass through them by grieving. In doing this, I'd like to show you a life beyond those hurts, not suppressing them or making them feel or masking them, but feeling each one of them, where important to do that, releasing that tension, pressing on through that pain in order to bring us to a place of acceptance and a place, like Jesus said, that is easy and light. So I just want to put a slide up. If you always look up and never down, wrong slide, guys, never mind. If you always look up and never down, you will be seeking your whole life from the heavens for something that was always meant to be found in the dirt. Oh no, it's not, sorry. That's where our true Christ journey can be found. That's where the gold lies. To get there though, we need to get down to the nitty gritty, to a faith that is perhaps beyond belief. Ruin is a gift. How does that statement make you feel? I know for me, it absolutely resonates and I connect with it. I believe this message found me this week, and I listened to lots of podcasts, and when I found one featuring Donna Lancaster, who's a lot of this is based on her work, I almost shouted out, yes, as it's, got, I got it, I've got it, because I've been there. For me, my greatest pains in life have brought me to my greatest transformation. My ruin was a gift, and it continues to be, and I don't say that lightly. The continual waves of transformation, my transformation, came from my ruin. However, if whilst in the midst of my pain, someone had told me it was a gift, well, let's just say that wouldn't have been well received. So if you're listening online or in here today and are really in the midst of some hard stuff, then I get that me saying some of this stuff isn't going to land just yet. But all I ask is you consider it and take what you can from it for now, because one day you may feel ready to come back to it, and I truly hope this will help. But I know that there are some of you also in here who are ready to hear it and need to hear it. Despite having walked through some tough stuff, it doesn't rule me out of not experiencing pains and disappointments, of course. Like right now, I'm facing some challenges which are raw and hurtful, but what I have learned is how to accept those things. And I'd like to share that process. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Some things have to die. 
and we have to grieve. We need to take up our cross, grieve the lost childhood you felt you had, grieve the broken relationship, grieve the loss of health, grieve my youth, grieve my children growing up, grieve my child moving out, grieve the beliefs we once held dear. Maybe some of you struggle with the new form this is all taking here on a Sunday, you know, maybe some of you need to grieve what's been. We tend to only associate grief with the loss of a loved one, but remember the small t traumas we talked about. We need to grieve those and any unprocessed pain that has attached to you. Maybe we need to grieve the parent who didn't parent us properly, the friend who let us down, the partner who didn't stick around. Grieving the choices we made, letting go of the guilt and shame so we no longer have to live under the oppression that brings. But what do I mean by oppression? Oppression is a prolonged, cruel treatment. We often submit ourselves to restrictive thought patterns. I'm not good enough. Imposter syndrome, for example, which cause us to live a restricted life. Staying silent when you want to speak up, not valuing your own opinion or trusting your instincts. All this can leave us feeling vulnerable and in turn develop belief systems and ways of living that either go under an oppression or creates the oppression? Are you approachable, or have you got those no-go areas? We need to grieve those. I know that I've stopped apologizing now for my part in my choices. I have made that, I've, that I've made in the past, and that I feel shame for. I have gone the second mile, and the third, the fourth, and the fifth, and I'm trying, and I'm tired of going that extra mile now. It exhausts me. It's time for me to grieve that too and move past it. Life can be a lot of stages of letting go and growing up. When we keep hold of the memory or experience that you had, maybe at eight years old, 16 years old, 34 years old, 80 years old, I carry that child or experience within me. It lives in me, and life's triggers take me back. But what, what do I mean when I say triggers? That's quite a modern word these days. But what does that mean? Well, triggers are the feelings and emotional baggage, the oppression that I discussed, and all that stuff we accumulate with our experiences. So as adults, or further down the line from that moment, we still harbour and carry the pains of that, and those triggers that rear up when something takes us back, triggers that emotion. It could manifest in an overreaction, an aggressive response, but we can cover that up as being passionate. But does passion tear down? It could make us cry, but in a sad way, a reclusive way, a fearful way. That's the stuff we need to grieve, that garbage that we let in. It's about letting that go. Not necessarily the experience or the person, if we have lost someone. It's more about finding a state of acceptance, as we no longer see through the effects of the wounds, that scar tissue, but we see through Christ in the wound. I'm just going to explain that a bit. So why do I talk about grief a lot? Because I have experienced it. I started coming to church when I was 19 years old, having had pretty typical suburban upbringing. I didn't grow up in church. My parents, I've not had that whole Sunday morning thing. I didn't have that. So I came when I was 19 years old, and something brought me here. I'd spent the best part of 10 years in what I see now as quite a toxic relationship that I gave and gave and gave to. And... After all that, my brother fell ill with cancer and he died at the age of 31. I was 28. 
My family was in pieces, and I felt the full weight of that. My parents' tears and heartache. My eldest brother's pain of losing his best friend. My sister-in-law losing her love. And my nephew losing his dad a week before he was about to start school. The months following that, I found myself at the start of a turbulent relationship with my now husband, who I was, and I was trying so hard to be supportive to everyone. I was trying to be everything to everyone, and just lost myself in the whole thing. And by the February, which is some six months later, I had a bit of an emotional breakdown. I questioned everything I believed, and I was numb. These conflicts and issues lasted several years until I found myself alone. And that was when I grieved. Dark, sad, lonely, brutal grief. So when I talk about this stuff, I get it. So I'm not like being blasé about anyone's experiences or trying to like go, come on, you know, just move on. I am so not saying that. That is so not what this is. Because I get it. I get it. Absolutely get it. You know, they say there's five stages of grief. Denial, you don't want to accept what's happening. Anger, you're angry, you're angry about what's happened to you. Of course you are, of course it's going to develop these things in you. Bargaining, I found that one interesting, I'm not sure about that one. But where we try and kind of weigh it all up and figure it all out. And depression, depression, ugh, deep, horrible sadness. But then there's the acceptance. That's part of the stages of grief as well. And we often, they say, skip through them all. But what about Jesus, if we use him as example? Jesus had to grieve. The whole process of the crucifixion, he never wavered or attacked or fought back. Why? He even said, didn't he? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, gee, that's powerful. For the joy set before him, he endured. He knew and he had to step into a higher consciousness. He had to find the Christ in him and fully immerse himself in that. He had accepted his journey and the reality of that. But was that easy for him? Of course not. It says in the garden he cried tears of blood. Tears of blood. Imagine the negative stress energy going through his body. His body manifested that pain and anguish through tears of blood. But that was him having to grieve his fate feel the anger, the denial, the depression, the bargaining of maybe not having to go through it. And then he had to lean and expand into his acceptance. Only then was he able to endure what was happening to him. Here's another thought. In the deconstruction of our beliefs or of your history, what if you got stuck on a stage? Are you angry? Are you depressed? Are you in denial? Are you still bargaining? Once we start to dissect our own history and the pains of our childhood or any stage of your life for that matter, it obviously brings up these emotions, but we have to learn to continually pass through them and feel them but not stay in them. Getting stuck in anger or depression, for example, are your feelings valid? Are we justified in our anger or sadness? Probably, but where does that get you? How's that working out for you? Are you at peace? By holding on to our anger and holding on to our sadness and holding people accountable for our anguish, we deny ourselves a healthy attachment to ourself. That anger or depression then filters through how we interact with people, how we parent, how we connect. But in all honesty, we have to ask ourselves, are we wanting to move on or accept? Do we really want the joy set before us? 
Or if we're being really frank, do we actually prefer the pain as it's become our familiarity? It's like in breakups when arguing and staying attached negatively can keep that relationship alive even though it's dead. Do we actually like to hold on as we don't or can't imagine a life without that? Do we believe that's our cross to bear? I don't believe that life's intended for us. I don't believe that that's the life intended for us. To feel anguish and despair, even in the loss of a loved one, are we serving that memory by not living our own life? Their life was taken from them, but ours is still here. Do we sell them a disservice by being stuck in that pain? Have we died with them? And I honestly get it if you have. I really do, but that's sad to me. Letting go of the baggage doesn't mean letting go of the person. My brother Ian is part of my DNA. His story and my experience of that is part of my makeup, and it shapes who I am today. We don't lose that person, we live for that person. It's part of your whole story, but not the unprocessed pain, it doesn't need to be. The healing is in the letting go. How do we do that, though? By stopping putting masks over ourselves, by being real. Maybe you need to write a letter that you don't send, but maybe you need to write a letter and get this stuff out of your system. Getting the words out. Talking to trusted friends or people, screaming into a pillow. Feeling that physical energy and releasing it. Maybe you need to do a big shake, I don't know, or a dance. It could be serving someone or knowing when to say no. Or having the courage to do that. A big cry. But you know, the type where it all comes out and you feel better for it. The transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly is not an easy one. But it is one of the most miraculous transformations in nature. The caterpillar's old body has to die. I didn't realize it literally digests itself and turns into a liquid. It's broken down and reorganized. I love that. I'm asking you to reorganize some things. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm not saying, you know, you have to just forget all this stuff. It's about reorganizing it. To form something new. Then the butterfly emerges with its wings ready to fly. The caterpillar accepts his journey into transformation, and we can do the same. Once we take the view of bad out of the situation, we can see it better and start to see the light energy within it and the acceptance that that brings. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But I'm going to take a moment now as we share a video of the song, You Will Be Found. And I'd like us all to take this pause as a moment of reflection, to close your eyes, let your whole body feel the music and the lyrics, and take your attention to that part of you that perhaps needs to be found. Oh, I just love that song. I just love it. Anyone who sees me when it's, sing, when it's being sung or whatever, I just love it. Oh, filling up the empty, and suddenly the I see all is new. Oh, let the sun come streaming in, because you'll reach up and you'll rise again. Out of the shadows, the morning is breaking and all is new. Oh, they're so powerful. It's just such a powerful song in understanding as well the next step of this message about letting the light in. Living in our suffering can be as a result of dualistic thinking. So Danny touched on this last week a little bit as well, and I think it's really important to repeat it. 
Because dualistic is when we categorize things into good and bad, right and wrong, the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what we do. We measure our experiences in life and the things that we've gone through and said, well, that was bad and that was good. And I get why we do that, because things do feel bad. But it's going to sound harsh saying this, but it's about facing the reality rather than the good or the badness of it. In our dualistic thinking, then, we mentally label that situation we are in as bad. But while ever we do this, we will struggle to accept it. And I don't say this lightly. You heard my journey. I don't say this lightly. And like I said, you may not be ready to hear that. But what we resist dealing with will persist in hurting us. I'm going to say that again. What we resist dealing with will persist in hurting us. The unresolved feelings we discussed, the being stuck in the process of grief, it's only in the acceptance that we will have the ability to view the situation differently, meaning it becomes neither good or bad. It becomes what it is. The whole, our life built on moments, the reality, and living like that, you start to take, you rarely take things as personally. And the stuff, it still hurts, but it doesn't affect everything. It doesn't forget, affect all your life choices and everything you do. It, it's, a, it's, it's an experience that you're having to go through because life will give you lemons. You know, we've heard that phrase. It's not easy. Some of you as well have probably been dealt a pretty shit card. I'm sorry to swear, but some, some of us have been. And it, but it is what it is. And I'm not saying that to be dismissive. And apparently I unintentionally use that saying quite a lot. And someone pointed it out to me at work that it is what it is. But now saying that, and hear me, doesn't mean I'm demoting or being disrespectful of the experience. But it stops giving it power. When you make something bad or give it that control, we let it have authority over us. By taking away its hold and power, it suddenly becomes something more manageable and less oppressive because we have taken away its power. For example, when we talk about our childhoods and history, I'm in no way being disrespectful to your parents but we have to look at all this stuff with the right perspective. Once we villainize someone or an experience, we will always find it hard to see the good in it. Hear me out. If we try to see it is what it is, then we have to apply the same to our history as it was what it was. And just like when we deconstruct the Bible and we have to put the stories and writings into the context of the culture and society of the time and the restrictions of the time, we have to do the same with our stories. There's a lineage to our stories, to our parents' stories. For me, I grew up in the 80s in a typical suburban family home with a mum who stayed at home and a dad who went to work. I had two older brothers and I was the youngest of three. The gender roles were quite typical of the time, and as a family, we went and followed where my dad's career took him. I moved around the country three times before I was six. It didn't matter. 
that I was sad to leave my friends or my feelings in that. I did what I was told. My mum was a football widow, and my brothers were strong characters, as was I, and still am. But my parents grew up in post-war Britain, their parents having lived and fought in the Second World War. My mum's parents lived through the Blitz. So they had their stuff too, and I was parented based on their best efforts, as I am, as am I. And I'm sure I've made some mistakes. I mean, bless her, Sophie came in this morning at quarter to six, and I thought she said to me she didn't, she, she didn't like her drink. So I looked at her strangely. I said, go back to bed and give her my drink. And she looked at me very strangely. And it was only this morning in the car I realised she'd come in and said she didn't like her dream. And I just packed her off to bed with a drink. <laughs> so, and I'm using that as a bit of a comical context. But you don't always get it right and you're not going to get it right. And your parents, our kids are probably going to be having to filter some stuff and deal with some stuff. But you can only do where you're at. You can only be where you're at. But on the whole, in comparison to my friends, going back to my childhood, who grew up in Christian households, I had a pretty liberal upbringing, but we still got to put all this stuff into context. And again, like, my history is pretty, you know, my childhood was pretty, that wasn't too bad, but yours might be. But even in that, you know, I still had to have a voice because I was the youngest of three. I was a heavily male-dominated household. I had to speak up. That's why I get quite sassy now. That's why I am how I am. If I wanted to have a connection with my dad, I had to go to the Leeds United with him. Because that's where he was. He was either at work or at the football. <laughs> but again, that doesn't necessarily, doing this, it doesn't necessarily justify the things that have happened to us or hurt us. But it helps explain it. And it helps us expand in our grief and learn to accept some things. So what's your story? What's your parents' story or the story of those we have felt wronged by? I believe the goodness of God and the Christ consciousness runs through it all. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Like we said, you'll find it in the dirt. You will. Everything happens for a reason. No, I hate that phrase. Anyone who knows me knows I detest that phrase. But I do believe, and I've come to believe, that a reason can come out of everything. Because Christ will help you find that. He'll help you find that beauty. Peace, joy, love can be found in the center of it all. Laughing. Oh, you know that real good belly laugh. I don't do that as much as I should these days. But I do love it when I do. If ruin is going to be our gift, then we need to let the gifts of it shine through. So let the sun come streaming in. It's about opening the curtains of our grief and letting the sun in to start shining through onto our darkest parts and help us in our healing, our understanding, our unpicking. Grief can't go on forever, of course, so we need to begin our healing, our transformation. The crucifixion was not nothing, was it? So Jesus, in his acceptance of that, wasn't saying it was okay, but he was saying... It's what it is. This, is. this is what I have to go through. He, he couldn't not go through it. We learned earlier in the year about the daily resurrections that we experience. If you want to go back to around Easter time, we talked a lot about light and darkness and resurrection. It was really good. 
The sun's setting every night and rising every morning with new mercies and fresh opportunities. I mean, if we all just dwelled in, in everything, we'd get up on a morning, would we? But something gets you up. The sun, just, you know what it's like when you go out, you feel the fresh air, you feel that. You feel the new opportunity. You feel like, right, come on, let's get on with it. I just want to put another slide up about the trees. Because the trees are showing us at the moment, or are about to show us, how lovely it is to let things go. The seasons, nature, it's all around us. Resurrection is all around us. It's in your everyday. It's in your, your yearly seasons. A constant resurrection story. But when the spring comes, we don't mourn the winter, do we? We celebrate. We celebrate the newness, the sunshine. We all get excited for it, don't we? Acceptance is the key to a free life. Letting the dead things go. The collateral beauty that I often talk about is only found when you pass through these layers of grief. As I've said before, the collateral is the price we have paid, the investment we feel we have made. But the beauty, oh, the beauty is the learning we get in our letting go. We start to see the wood for the trees. We start to learn how to marvel again, to laugh hard, to love deeper, to expand ourselves because of what we have experienced has given us a deeper level and we find our authentic self. There is beauty in the letting go. We need to learn to accept the past as it was and move into our new story. The now version of you who is ready to lean into the expanse of all that Christ consciousness can bring us. Eckhart Tolle said, the absence of challenge will not aid your spiritual growth, but our practice is to find our own awakening. And one thing he said, I was into a podcast, he said, you know, about that family meal, where that person doesn't trigger you with what they say. We all've got that person in our family that triggers us, come on. And I struggled with that, because I get a bit spicy sometimes in family situations. More with James's family, bless him. But to think, you know, why am I getting like that? It really, it really challenged me hearing that. Because really, people can only meet you as deeply as they've met themselves. The idea that you are so connected with consciousness that you don't need to react. In our awakening, which is another term for acceptance, really, there is no trigger. Like last week in Danny's videos, there is no spoon. We bend and we shape and we flow with the circumstances and people and the challenges we face. By accepting it without judgment, then there is no resistance. So we are therefore more empowered to act positively with what's required in any moment. But what about extreme situations that may happen again? How does that sit with accepting it is what it is? That could seem lacking in compassion maybe, but no, it's all about the compassion. Acceptance even of the most extreme situations at least helps us to not be paralyzed by the present truth, horrible as it may be. By doing that, it then enables us to make decisions that can help change things. Accepting things doesn't mean action can't be taken or challenge can't happen. We don't have to accept being mistreated in our now or sit in silence. But what it does is enable us to be equipped to handle it from a higher perspective. 
We can look to understand or rise in our passion from a place of positivity, not harboring negativity rising up through our triggers. What I mean by that is so, at that family meal, I use an example. If someone says something that might trigger me, I don't have to go, Wah! and attack them. I can go, well, hang on a minute, and have a healthy debate. You know, when you're reacting, getting aggressive, it's because they've wound you up and they're triggering you. It's about learning to kind of flex with these things and go, well, why is that person thinking that? What's happened to them to make them feel like that? And I, and I know that's hard, because some people, you know, aren't that nice. But, you know, you kind of have to still accept that that's just where they are. You know, even in family situations, it's difficult. That person may never change. You might not get that reconciliation that you want with a parent or with a, with a spouse or something. I, I don't know, whatever insert there. How are you going to reconcile that then? How are you going to be able to build a relationship if there needs to be one? Sometimes there doesn't. You know, we try and hold on to these things thinking that we have to try and fix it and make it work. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the best thing for you is to walk away. And again, I don't say that lightly. When you live in incomplete acceptance of what is, that is the end of all drama in your life. I'm going to let that sit for a minute. When you live in complete acceptance of what is, that is the end of all drama in your life. Now, it doesn't mean things aren't going to happen, but it means how you face it and deal with it is different. Remember earlier when I quoted Jesus, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that mean he was without pain or challenge? No, that's not realistic. Life's always going to provide us with these things. I'm going to lose more loved ones, and I'm going to feel pain again. But in understanding the process of acceptance, I can learn that in letting my grief be something I pass through, feel and let go of, I can then find my spring. I can let the sun in, let the transformation through and live in the lightness and easiness, but where all parts of you are welcome. The whole you, imperfectly perfect. Christ in you, the hope and glory. There has to be a manifestation of that in our lives. Jesus was an example of someone who was fully immersed in his Christness, fully immersed in his transformation process, fully immersed in the whole. And when he said, follow me, he was saying, learn with me and attach and fully immerse yourself to the Christ in you, the Christ consciousness, the beauty, the wonder, the marveling, seeing the world anew. So I'm going to close now with a slide, and it's, Chris shared this on Facebook this week, it absolutely rang my bell. And I'm going to finish by reading this incredible writing by a guy called Jeff Foster, as I feel this sums up the acceptance of grief and the transformation power beautifully. How I became a warrior. Once I ran from fear, so fear controlled me, until I learned to hold fear like a newborn, Listen to it, but not give in. Honour it, but not worship it. Fear could not stop me anymore. I walked with courage into the storm. I still have fear, but it does not have me. Once I was ashamed of who I was. I invited shame into my heart. I let it burn, and it told me, I'm only trying to protect your vulnerability. I thanked shame dearly and stepped into life anyway 
unashamed, with shame as a lover. Once I had great sadness buried deep inside. I invited it to come out and play. I wept oceans, my tear ducts rang dry, and I found joy right there, right at the core of my sorrow. It was heartbreak that taught me how to love. Once I had anxiety, a mind that wouldn't stop, thoughts that wouldn't be silent, so I stopped trying to silence them, and I dropped out of the mind and into the earth, into the mud. Where I was held strong like a tree, unshakable and safe. Once anger burned in the depths, I called anger into the light of myself. I felt its shocking power. I let my heart pound and my blood boil, listened to it finally, and it screamed, respect yourself fearfully now. Speak your truth with passion. Say no when you mean no. Walk your path with courage. Let no one speak for you. Anger became an honest friend, a truthful guide, a beautiful wild child. Once loneliness cut deep, I tried to distract and numb myself, ran to people and places and things, even pretended I was happy. But soon I could not run anymore, and I tumbled into the heart of loneliness, and I died and was reborn into an exquisite solitude and stillness that connected me to all things, so I was not lonely, but alone with all life, my heart one with all other hearts, oneness. Once I ran from difficult feelings, now they are my advisors, confidants, friends, and they have all a home in me, and they all belong and have dignity. I am sensitive, soft, fragile, my arms wrapped around all my inner children, and in my sensitivity power, in my fragility, an unshakable presence. In the depths of my wounds, in what I had named darkness, I found a blazing light that guides me now in battle. I became a warrior when I turned towards myself and started listening. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>